You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. So, um, there's this couple that I know. They've been dating a little over a year, almost a year and a half, and um, been wondering what, what's going to happen with that relationship. And yesterday, he took her out for a special date, and he asked her, and she said yes. Am I forgetting anything? Oh, yeah, who it is? Well, I'm talking about our son, Kylan and Emily Anderson. They got engaged yesterday. And they're in the service here this morning, and we love them and are just so, so excited to add um, Emily to our family. It's just, it's going to be fantastic. So many congratulations there. And you know, um, it really has, as many of you know, been a, a bittersweet year for my family. Um, we just lost my mom about four weeks ago. She would have loved to have heard this news. And I have to be honest with you, when, when um, we got this news yesterday, and that's the very picture that I just showed you of, that they took right after they got engaged, you know, I wanted to pick up my phone and call her and realized I can't because she's not there. And as I'm thinking about and just continuing to grieve and appreciate my mom, one of the many things about my mom that I loved was she was incredibly practical. She was just a very practical, down-to-earth person. And it reminds me of my own engagement to Jamie when we got engaged many, many years ago. You know, our parents, of course, were thrilled for us that Jamie had been a part of our family for like five and a half years. We didn't sneak up on anybody with our engagement. We dated all through high school and college for five and a half years. But that being said, when we got engaged, my mom, and I'm I'm absolutely serious, and so was she. She said, you know, honey, let's just keep things simple for you guys. If you want to get married now, I will pay for you to go to Vegas, and we'll get you married. She was serious. She wasn't trying to circumvent anything or anyone. That's just kind of how she thought. Or, you know, this last December, um, my mom was at the end of her chemo treatment for her lung cancer and just growing weaker and weaker as that progressed. And we were keeping close tabs on her, spending a lot of time with her over at her home, but she was still living independently. And that this last Christmas, um, we came to the realization on Christmas Eve, you know what? She's too weak to be alone why she recovers from this last round of chemotherapy. So after preaching the, the three services on Christmas Eve, we, you know, we called an audible, went across town to Hillsboro, picked her up like at 10 o'clock, got back and settled in at midnight um, Christmas Eve. And then on Christmas morning, we have this tradition of, of Jamie just always spoils us and just cooks up a storm. And, and, and we just have a lot of traditions in our family that are really important to us. And she always just works really hard to bless us and serve us. And so once again, my mom in her practical thinking, you know, said, you know what, let's just, let's just make it easy for Jamie Lynn. Let's just go down the hill to McDonald's on Christmas day and just get happy meals, you know? (laughs) And she was serious. And I, you know, might've gone for that if she could have guaranteed me like a Marvel action figure in the, in the (laughs) happy meal. But otherwise I wasn't interested, but that was just my mom. She was so practical. And you know, as I've been thinking about my mom and thinking about this passage that we're going to look at in James, my mom would have loved James because it's such a practical, no-nonsense, straightforward book. And now we come to a section in James that's really going to begin to tie together some of the very necessary questions this letter has been asking of us. What does it mean to not just be listeners, but doers of the word? 
What does religion look like that is faultless and pure to God? Or to take us back to last week with Gabe, how do we show favor to all people without playing favorites? How do we keep ourselves from being polluted by the world? And, you know, where we'll go today, what is a faith that, that works? Well, in this short passage that we're going to look at today, James steers directly into this. And he's going to answer these other questions, and he's really going to help us do business with this question. What is a faith that works? And he's going to give us two examples of useless faith and two examples of useful faith. I'd like you to watch for these as I read this passage to you. What are these two examples of useless faith, two examples of useful faith? So what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Well, show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, it was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Amen. Amen. Here endeth the sermon, right? That's pretty straightforward. I mean, it's, it's simple, but it's not easy. So let's do business with some of what James has talked about there. He talks a lot about belief. Do you believe in God? That question was asked by the Gallup organization of a represent, representation of our country. And how many people do you think said believe in God? What do you think that percentage was? 60%? 70%? Someone just said 80%. Would you believe 87% of Americans said in that poll that they believe in God? But let's define terms. What does that really mean? Is it possible to believe in God but live like there is no God and for that to be okay? And James says, no. Absolutely not. You believe in God if you define belief in God as just, okay, yeah, I believe in God. That's really good. You have the same faith that demons do. Good job. Because demons believe in God. But do they love God? Do they know God? Do they worship and obey God? Absolutely not. 
And James would say that's one of the first examples of a useless faith. It is a useless faith if you say, I believe in God, but then you don't live like it. He's pretty straight up about that. Okay, so more positively speaking, what does it mean to believe? What does it mean to believe in God? And a very simple, simple definition of that biblically is believing in God means that you believe whatever God says can absolutely be trusted. And the reality of that kind of believing faith is that it's never passive. In fact, biblical faith is always active. So let's give that a test drive. Let's go with a verse like John 3.16, you know, the famous end zone verse during the NFL season. You know, someone inevitably holds up a sign in the end zone that says, you know, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. So what does believes in really mean? Well, if you go back to the original language that the New Testament is written in, Greek, and you look at what it says there, it says pistuo ace, believe in. Ace is a preposition. It can be translated in or into. Now, we don't talk like that in English. That's why it's translated believe in, but we could say believe into. Whoever believes into, Jesus Christ shall be saved. So, Sometimes a very important dynamic gets lost in that translation of believe in with how we understand it. So, do you like ice cream? Seems to be a random question, but there is a method to our madness. Of course you like ice cream. It's a food group, right? Who doesn't like ice cream? Think of your favorite ice cream. You have this favorite ice cream that you love in this cone right in front of you. Are you going to believe into it? Yes. If it's your favorite ice cream and you want to eat it, what will you do? You eat it, right? We have a daughter who will go nameless. We have two. I won't identify which one it was. We have a daughter who whenever we gave her her ice cream, she believed into it. In fact, all over her face and her clothes, whenever she ate ice cream, she wore it because she got down to business. She loved it, and she would eat it like there's no tomorrow. That's an example of believing into something. To believe means you act. And I, I've been thinking about this a lot recently. There's a verse in particular that I just keep meditating on that I've, that I've memorized. We'll see how I do here. It's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, and it says, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace that you have been saved. And you begin to think about the realities that are talked about there and what it means to believe. God in his mercy, mercy in simplest form is not getting what you deserve. And what do I deserve? for a lifetime of sinfulness and selfishness and self-absorption and brokenness when I wasn't in right relationship with God for a portion of my life, when life was all about me. Well, I deserve the consequences of that. And I, de I, I deserve the wages of that. And yet God in his mercy 
gives you and me chance after chance after chance to respond to his grace, his unmerited, unearned love freely given for the sake of right relationship with him and others and and empowerment to serve him and others. He gives me something I don't deserve over and over and over again. That's his grace. Instead of giving me what I do deserve, he gives me what I don't deserve. But I have to respond to it. And once I respond to God's grace, then he does expect me to trust and obey him. God's grace is not a license to continue to sin. It is not a license to continue to be selfish and to make life all about me and to be inconsiderate of others and unloving and graceless and merciless to others. It's exactly the opposite. The grace of God, as James is reminding us, isn't a license to sin. It is the escape from it. God does not want us to abuse his grace. He wants us to experience and live it out. And so what James is reminding us of is so practical. A faith that works is a faith that responds to the grace of God. Or put it another way, if you truly believe in God, you'll live like it. You won't just talk about it. You'll actually live it out. Your actions will show it. So once again, let's take this for a test drive, just with the ground we've covered in James, just a couple chapters in, and there's been so much ground that we've already covered. So how is your faith when it comes to the storms in your life? Again, not a question of if you're going to have storms in your life, but when those storms will come and find you. And when you're in the heart of it, when God seems so difficult to understand, when it feels like he's walked away or left the scene or doesn't care, when you pray to him for wisdom, when you pray for him, to him to help you understand and see, are you believing that he will actually do that? Or when that thing that you do battle with, usually for most of us it's several things, comes to you and tempts you and tries to pull you into brokenness, how will you respond to that? Are you slow to speak? Quick to listen, slow to become angry. Or do you live the inverse of that? You're quick to speak. You're slow to listen, and you are quick to get angry. Do you play favorites with how you treat people, taking us back to the ground Gabe covered with us last week? God calls us to love all people even the difficult ones. So do you? Do I? Or one that we could overlay over everything we've covered so far. Are you a listener of the word, but not a doer of the word? Are you living out what God's revealing to you through these times, through your time in the word, through what the Holy Spirit reveals to you, and so it goes. And what James would say against all that, against the backdrop of all that, would be faith without action is dead and, and, and useless. And to further make his point, he gives two positive examples of, of what this looks like. He refers to Abraham, who everybody would have known about. The Jewish people, he was literally the father of the nation. 
and what he references here, what James references here, when it says that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness, he was called God's friend, that's a reach all the way back into Genesis chapter 15. And in Genesis chapter 15, God promises Abraham that he's going to give him a land, he's going to make him a great people, he's going to eventually bless all nations through him. And at this point, Abraham is pushing around 100 years old, Sarah's pushing around 90, and they have no kids. And my friends, those promises will not come true without a descendant. So how's that going to work? And then we fast forward to Genesis chapter 22, some 30 years later, and we don't know how old Isaac was at this point, but Isaac had been born to them in their old age. And God tests Abraham and tests his faith very practically and tells him to take Isaac to go to this certain mountain and to sacrifice his only son. And if that wasn't enough, this is the son who all these promises had to come through. So how is this going to work if Abraham sacrifices his own son? Well, God was testing his faith, and that's exactly what this is referencing here. Can you imagine how that story would have turned out if Abraham would have said, I believe you, God. I believe in you. I believe what you're saying, and did nothing. Didn't saddle his donkey that very next morning. Didn't take his son. Didn't go to that mountain didn't, by his actions, trust what God had had said. Very practical example, an example that everybody would have known. And he calls their attention to it. See, God was testing Abraham's faith to see what was really there, not just by what he said, but by what he would do. And sometimes God will test my faith and test yours. And the amazing thing about this God is he's the kind of tester He's the kind of teacher who wants you to pass every test he gives you. He isn't looking to see if you'll fail. He's looking to hope you will pass. And that's the kind of God he is. And James says, look, his faith was made complete by his actions. And if that wasn't enough, he goes to another example. He goes to to Rahab. And this was a story, again, that a number of the Jewish people would have known, probably all of them, When God eventually brought the Jewish people to the promised land, in Joshua chapter 2 in the Old Testament, as that's being described, they go into the promised land, and there's this imposing city that they have to conquer. It's called Jericho. I've I've been there. I've seen it. When we went to Israel, we went to Jericho, one of the oldest cities in the world. And at that time, it was a powerful city, And so they sent spies at God's direction to go into the city and to check it out. And these spies got found out, got discovered, and they knew they were somewhere in the city and they thought they were with this gal named Rahab, who happened to be a prostitute. And so she hid them, as the story goes. And if you want to see a beautiful, powerful, amazing confession of God, go back to Joshua chapter 2 and read what Rahab says about the God of Israel which very clearly showed he had become her God. And at great risk to her life, an incredibly courageous example of faith, she protects the spies and sends them off in a different direction than what she tells the officials. And James points to this and says, her faith was made complete by her actions. You see, a faith that works is a faith that is complete. It's a faith that's married to action. 
When the Bible talks about faith, it is always a whole person reality. It's not just an attitude. It's also married to action. And therefore, we cannot and should not separate faith from action. They go hand in hand. And basically, what James is saying here is we're saved by faith alone, yes, but not by a faith that is alone. Or to put it another way, a faith without works doesn't work. It just doesn't. And then, in the very beginning, if you were watching this, he, he brought this very practical, very complete example to mind. What good is it, brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such a faith save them? Look at this. Suppose a brother or sister was without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? And at first blush, it looks like, well, he's speaking to homelessness. Actually not. The context is, this is about a brother and sister in need. This is about another, another believer. And what we're called to as Jesus followers is as we join God's divine rescue mission to redeem and restore and renew this world in the hope of Jesus Christ, as we live out that transformation in our own lives, if we see a need and we can reasonably do something about it, we do. And actually, in our level of priorities, it starts with the body of believers. It starts with the people around you. It starts with other Jesus followers. Yes, we love all people, but we especially love other believers, even believers we don't know. In Paul's letter to the Galatians, in Galatians 6, 9, he basically ends that letter by saying, do good to all people, especially the family of believers. So there's this concentric ring as we live out our faith. We love other believers, and yes, we love the world around us. Because a faith that works is a faith that is generous. And you could plug so many words into that blank. Not just generous, it's transformative, it's, it's distinctive. And my friends, you, you are a family that knows how to do this and that does do this. You do live out a generous faith. And it's something to celebrate. And it's something to continue to expand. Jamie and I have been overwhelmed by the cards, the gift cards, the texts, the flowers, the phone calls that you have showered on us in the last four weeks in the loss of my mom. It's, it's been overwhelming. We have a, a, a big window in our kitchen, and it's just filled with your cards that we look at every day. It collectively reminds us that you love us, that you're praying, and it just... It means so, so much to us that that's a generous faith. But this is such a high value to us and such an important distinctive for us as Jesus followers that it sometimes gets overlooked. And so after we end the James series later this summer, we're going to do a short series on, on generosity and what is a lifestyle of generosity because it's something that we can and should be about as, as Jesus followers. And some of us might reasonably say, well, okay, yeah, I guess that makes sense, but, but really? And, and honestly, there are times when we don't feel like being generous, especially when we're not treated reciprocally by someone, or especially if it's someone who's difficult or who doesn't deserve it, which is probably most of us. How do you be generous in that kind of a scenario? Why should you be? 
And we say this often, but it's, but it's true, it's reality, that living the gospel, living the good news of Jesus Christ, of what he's done for us, what he's doing for us, what he's gonna do for us, living the gospel is always a response to the gospel. Do you know why I'm a generous person? It's because Jesus has been generous to me. Do you know why you can be merciful even when someone doesn't deserve it and you don't feel like it? Because God's been merciful to you when you didn't deserve it. Do you know why you can forgive someone who doesn't deserve it? Because Jesus forgave you when you didn't deserve it. And so it goes. Living the gospel is always a response to the gospel. Why are we generous to other people? Because God has been generous to us. And if you don't feel like that, if you don't embrace that, if you don't believe that, then you haven't thought deeply enough about what God has done for you. You're missing it. And you need, to, you need to back up a step and remember what has this amazing God done for you? Because as Gabe reminded us last week, this is the God who has disadvantaged himself for us. So therefore, we are willing to disadvantage ourselves for other people, even people who don't deserve it. So let's get real specific here. Are you generous with your stuff? Lots of ways we could apply that together. But let's think about it like this. When's the last time you loaned something to someone? My wife, my wife, good night. My mom had a car that when she passed away just sat in her driveway and we've, we've tried to keep the battery charged and it just and it invariably ran down. And so the next door neighbor, as I've discovered in the last several months, is a Jesus follower. And um, he immediately heard that, you know, our, our car battery was done. Immediately comes over with this battery charger and gives it to us and says, here. Didn't even have to ask him. And so we charged the battery and some of my family who were not believers looked at that and said, man, he's just, he's so generous. And I was thinking, yeah, he is. And he should be. Because God has been generous to him and it's, he's living out this distinctive of, of generosity. So let's take this even a step further. When's the last time you loaned something out and didn't expect to get it back and loaned it out anyway? And loaned it out to someone who does not deserve it. Well, when you do that, you're actually living out Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5.42. Go back and read that. And what does he say? Loan without expecting something back. Who does that? Jesus followers do. It's extraordinary generosity. Yeah, because God's been extraordinarily generous to us, to me. Or how about even a more precious commodity for most of us than our stuff? How about your time? Are you generous with your time? And please understand, everyone is busy. Me too. We're all busy. Absolutely. Of course you're busy. But are you generous with your time? Not just with your busyness and your stuff and your plans and your ideas, but when those get interrupted or when an opportunity comes for you to dive in. And of course, lots of ways we could illustrate this as well too. But I'll just, I'll just give you one as a church family since we're primarily talking about us. We have Vacation Bible School coming in July. We have Serve East County where we serve this entire community in August. We have Advent Conspiracy coming in November, December. We deliberately designed these opportunities 
for us as a community to roll up our sleeves and to serve others together. And some of you who have been a part of Grace for some years, you look forward to these events, and I do too. I love to serve with you. And it's one of the ways that we make Christ visible to those around us. But I can tell you unequivocally, I do not have time to be a part of any one of those three. And I work here. This is my day job. And I'm busy. And I don't have time to be a part of that stuff. And I make time to be a part of that stuff. And I know so many of you do. You're busier than I am. You're coming from outside stuff to do this. And the reason is because it matters. It's living out our faith. There's a level of maturity you will never experience and grow to until you begin to serve other people, until you begin to be generous with other people. So however you can, will you roll up your sleeves and join us for these things? And, and how about this? You know, many of us think generosity and we automatically think money. No, generosity is so much more than that, but it does involve money. And if you're newer to this church family, something you've got to understand is the core of this church is so profoundly generous with their money. They support the mission and vision. They give to the fellowship fund, which is, are the resources we use to help people in crisis and need around here and in the community. They give not in addition to just, they give in addition to not just the mission and vision giving that we called you to earlier, but they give directly to Backpack Blessings. They give directly to Vacation Bible School. They give directly to Advent Conspiracy. I could go on down the list. Honestly, I'm being as genuine as I can be, and please, please believe me when I say, this is literally the most generous community I've ever known. And if you're newer to our church family, we are unashamedly, unapologetically calling you to join us with everything, your time, your relationships, what we'll come to in just a minute, your stuff, and yes, your money. I hope you are giving consistently to the mission and vision here. And if you're not, what are you waiting for? Because we truly believe these resources are changing lives. And so we want you to be a part of it. So let's, let's end with relationships. Are you generous? Generous with relationships. And again, so many of you are. I could cite so many positive examples of this. But an application for this, all of us together as a community, especially for those of us here in person, will you be a bringer or an includer as part of our church family here? And by that, I mean, will you bring someone with you to introduce them to Jesus or to reintroduce them back in the community or to bring them into this community. And when they're here, will you be with them, spend time with them, introduce them around? And if you don't bring someone, will you look around to include someone in the community that you already have? It's so easy for us to forget that all of us were guests at one point. I was new to this church at one point, knew no one, and was so grateful for those who reached out to my family and me and, and engaged us and invited us in the community and loved us and actually talked to us. I mean, no one should ever come in and out of these doors and not be loved and engaged and invited in the community in some way, shape, or form. But that doesn't just happen. You've got to look around and you've got to be delivered about that. So, so will you be a part of that? So I'd like to end with, with this. The final weeks of my mom's life were exhausting. 
It didn't help that she was in Hillsboro and my family and I are over here. My sister, thankfully, lives just a mile from my mom in Hillsboro, but the final weeks of her life, we began to pull 24-hour shifts as she was dying. And it was exhausting. And we didn't know how long this was, this was gonna go on. And so we hired a caregiver to come in and help us. And she began to take the night shifts, which was just an absolute game changer. My sister interviewed her and instantly liked her. And, and we agreed to hire her. Jamie and I met her the next night when she came to, to do the first shift with the crossover with us. And this, this lady's name was Tupo. She goes by Poe. And Poe immediately engaged us, and we just knew there was, there was something distinctive and different about this person. She was so gracious, so loving, so engaging, so, so giving. We instantly felt good about entrusting our mom to her for the night. But I just couldn't help myself. I just thought, she knows Jesus. I, just, I know she knows Jesus. So I asked, do you know Jesus? And she said, oh, yeah, I love the Lord. And I said, it shows with how generous you are with relationship. And my mom instantly loved her and took to her. And that's, that's not my mom. My mom was a friendly person, but she's extremely private and um, not super relational, very small circle of, of, of friends. And my mom instantly liked her and trusted her and received her. Because of how this woman carried herself, because of her generosity and graciousness and, and love, and all that being said, two nights before my mom was to pass away, we had, with Tupo, prayed in my mom's presence, prayed over her. And at this point, she was mostly unresponsive, but we knew she could still hear. And so we prayed over my mom, prayed once again that she would receive Jesus and know Jesus. And we went home for the night, and Tupo later told us that after we had prayed and left, for the first time in the whole dying process, my, my mom just visibly relaxed and her visage completely changed and stayed that way until she passed away two days, two days later. And Tupo has been a caregiver for 28 years. She keeps count and has helped over 2,000 people pass. And she said, I've never seen anything like that. And so the final night, the night that my mom passed away, it was about 10 till 3 in the morning. At this point, Jamie and I were spending the night and had been doing that for some nights because we wanted to be there when she passed. Tupel came and knocked on the door and woke us up out of, you know, out of an exhausted sleep, stumbled out there. And understand my mom hadn't moved for almost two days at this point. And with her last breath, my mom crossed her arms and took a posture of prayer and died with a smile on her face, which again was not my mom. And we firmly believe that she met her Lord and Savior in that moment. And it was in no small part due to the generosity of relationship from this stranger that we didn't know, but who loved us and cared for us like family. My friends, that is the kind of faith that you and I are called to. And so as the worship team comes and as we prepare to respond by singing about the goodness of God, would you remember 
his goodness to you? Would you remember what he's done for you, the grace that he's shown you? And may that motivate you and compel you to live your faith, not just to talk about it, but to live it out because he is a good God and we're gonna worship him now. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.